0: Hello, and welcome to the Soundweavers podcast. Soundweavers explores the trials and tribulations of small ensemble musicianship through conversations with leading performers and composers. Today's episode features composer DJ Spar. We hope you enjoy.
1: lovely and wonderful gentlefolk welcome back to the sound weavers podcast as always i am your harping host dr rosanna moore and this episode i am flying solo as we interview the brilliant and wonderful composer and electric guitarist dj spa dj has been hailed as exemplary by gramophone and is one of america's preeminent composer performers. Uh, he actually is another one of are Grammy winners joining the roster of podcast interviewees as he won a Grammy in 2018 as the soloist uh, on an all Kenneth Fuchs recording with Joanne Folletta and the London Symphony Orchestra. So hi DJ thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Oh thank you so much for having me.
1: You were named one of NPR's Listener Favorite Composers under forty back in, I think, twenty eleven. I this is really cool. I, I've never, I never realized that was a thing that NPR did. But what kind of reaction does an accolade like this have on your career?
2: I think that has a lot of really cool composers on it. It was a really inclusive group of composers, and. Um... It, you know, it does things like make emails easier. It makes, you know, it gives a little pop to your bio. So anything you can do that people understand when you're walking through, like what I call, some people call it like the elevator pitch. I call it having a beer at the airport next to an investment banker pitch. Like along your life, you find these little things that give you little boosts of confidence. So you can just be, you know, there's always moments of insecurity when you're sitting in your room, either practicing or getting, you know, especially if you're working up something new or starting a new project. Uh, but you know things like that you can just sort of tuck them in your back pocket and walk around with them and it makes it easier to walk into the rooms when you don't know other people and things.
1: so actually talking about starting projects and things um a very practical thing what does your schedule look like day to day when you're composing and practicing yeah.
2: i had a really awesome schedule before i was a parent uh that that was uh <laughs> about three three times a day like when i was really in the thick of a piece i could do two or three hour sessions three times and and my wife is a great performer too of Viola, Kimberly Sparge, is a professor at LSU. Well, we would have both have dinner and then go to another work session. So you would so have like your morning, whatever you call your morning. For me, it would be like 9 a.m. to 12 and then, you know, whatever you do for lunch and then another 4 to 6 and then like a dinner. And then we, then there could be like a sort of like 7 to 10 kind of work time. But now everything is mostly between 9.30 a.m. and 4.30 Um, and that's, that's cause our son goes to, um, to preschool. And then if you have teaching assignments that kind of messes up with that, but, um, and then I can do sessions at night like one piece I've written in the past couple of years, I even just got up at like four in the morning and wrote for two hours every day, but that's not really my style. I've, I've
1: been talking about this with a lot of people at the moment actually about hustle culture in general, social media kind of exacerbating it. So every time you see people like, look at all the fancy things mm-hmm. that I'm doing, whilst they're also kind of just destroying themselves uh, mentally and physically to try and keep up all of these things. So it's really interesting to learn what people's schedules actually look like when they're working.
2: Yeah, and to be clear, what I just said there was when things are becoming due um, like right now, what I'm doing is I'm making myself rate five people a day with a new choral piece that I have a pretty nice video of, of. And I'm trying to get that to 30 chorus conductors around the country. And I'm really new in that world. I've only written one piece. So I'm, it's actually each email has to be really well crafted where I'm trying to like, you know, I read about them. I look at their bio. I see if there's any connections. I'm asking my friends if they know any conductors, if I've had a piece performed where they, teach already I mentioned that so it's 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 not just like a form email that you that I pop out so we'll see but even if two come out of 30 that would be a really great that's two cool things
1: so you have been commissioned by a number of incredible groups, whether they be chamber ensembles or orchestras around the country, uh, including Eighth Blackbird, the Arkansas Symphony, Tribeca New Music Festival, just to name a few. From your bio, um, I just wondered how you start to build some of these connections.
2: Sure. So um, actually, the the Eighth Blackbird one was a was a commission through BMI which was for former student composer awards winners. So that one was kind of a student one, Mm -hmm. Uh, but something like um, like one I did for Washington National Opera, that actually was a cold email and everyone says don't write cold emails. Um, (laughs) But that one, that one worked because I saw that they were doing a program and I wrote them and said, I would love, I'm going to give everybody my secrets here. So I, I said, I saw that you're doing this commissioning process. I'd love to be considered. Here's a link to my music. And then I wrote Here's a link to an administrator that I've worked with who on the board. Here's a link to a composer who can give a reference for my composing ability and here's a link to a conductor that you can write to see if you know how i get along with conductors and then i said it's great with respect that i write this email thank you so much for your consideration and that one really worked that one i got a call from from the from from francesco zambala who was running washington national opera the email came back with oh, eight hours
1: awesome.
2: and then that that one like really took because she listened and i think what happened was they were like looking for someone and it's sort of like so if you're sending out 300 emails a year at some point one of them yeah. is going to solve someone's problem. Because they're probably thinking, what in the world are we going to do? Uh, but you have to sort of be willing. Uh, 290 of them may not be returned, but 10 of them are 10 things you can do. And that's plenty uh, per year. So um, the real answer to this is uh, my saying, and I think I invented this saying, that networking is a dirty word for meeting new people and really, truly caring about them and what they do. If you care about everyone you meet and what they do and what they do, they will, the way that humans are wired is they will care about you. And um, the other saying I have is, "You make music with those with those with whom you share coffee and beverages." Whenever I go to a new town for like a concert, I will try to schedule coffee or a cocktail with someone new at a new organization. Well, actually, I don't say anything about myself, and at some point, they you know they know why you wrote them. So, I might they I might say, "You know, is there anything I can do to help you?" Or if they say, "Well, what are you here for?" I'm like, "Oh, I don't know, I just wanted to." see if I could be of service to you. So if you're trying to be of service to them, not about your own, we all love our own adoration and the ego and the composers and people play concerts because you get an adrenaline rush like jumping out of an airplane. And that's kind of why we all do this um, and sharing music and stuff. But, you know, being a service to people makes it less about like, I just want to have a piece on your concert.
1: Absolutely. And I, I actually love that you've said that because a uh, podcast that I listen to is the Upbeat podcast, um, which is a conducting podcast with Enrico Lopez-Yanez and John Devlin. And they said in their most recent Uh, episode, they were talking about traveling all over the place and being a guest conductor. And it's something that uh, Enrico said that he sits down and he makes sure that he has those coffee, uh, coffees or beverages set up with someone within the organization. And again, it's, it shows that you care about the person and that it's, you're trying to create an authentic relationship with them.
2: Well, this, this is a long game, everybody. I mean, one of my recent commissions was Naples Mm -hmm. Philharmonic in Florida, Naples, Florida Philharmonic. That woman who, that runs that organization was the roommate of my girlfriend, senior year at Eastman. Uh, like, you know, so let's imagine going back to being a senior year of undergrad, if you're not you know, being respectful of other people, if you're not treating people nicely. I mean, let's imagine something that would never have happened. That would have been like, you don't get that commission later. You know, the other thing, it's also kind of sounds crass is, uh, you know, read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's a terrible title for an excellent book about yeah. how to be a good listener in a conversation and how to care about others.
1: Although the pandemic is slowly, hopefully, starting to ease up, and as we learn to live with this pesky little pandemic, and the world is starting to open its doors again, I wanted, uh, this is a little bit of a personal question, because I know the answer to this, are there any projects mm-hmm. that have been impacted by this for you?
2: So yes, uh, you know, we, you and I have a project together for an electric harp concerto. Uh, concerto for electric harp and orchestra with a collaboration with poet janine joseph that everybody should look up maybe link it down there and um it's called um, extraordinary motion concerto for electric harp and it's going to bring some awarenesses to something you deal with a lot which is uh the immigration issues in america and the idea of humans yeah. moving around the world um and and so that was that's been canceled no less than four Five to a million times <laughs> so yeah so and then actually one one or- orchestra the northeast orchestra moved it all the way two seasons from now so that is frustrating but i under you know i understand where everybody's coming from the concert i did with Soli ensemble in in san antonio was moved twice and that finally we ended up doing um a live stream but it was not a live stream it was actually a video production oh, okay. that became a stream and that, that was kind of kind of neat because we wanted to make it a really high, um, high highly produced product. Yeah, and that makes any... it really
1: tangible product. And that's something I think we have learned as classical musicians throughout the pandemic is, hey, we need to do these things. <laughs> yeah.
2: As a composer, I, and I wrote a piece for the LSU Percussion Ensemble where I played guitar with them, and um, the concert was, we made a video. As a composer, And actually, this is what I told Soli. I'm like, if we're going to put all this effort into this, and it's something that, like, I think actually it'll probably also be a released album because we did recording sessions for everything. And there was no lip syncing, but it was, um, you know, an edited video with microphones and cameras at the same time in a church. At one point, there was a drone flying over us in the church. It was, like, so cool. So that's been delayed. I had a very cool name brand organization. Like, Top Tippity Top was... I got off the phone with them pitching an opera and I was like, what's happening next. And the music director said, the next thing is lawyers and agents and we're going to work out a contract. And then that not only did, um, and this is interesting to consider actually. So, and I'll just say it out loud. Not only did that project change because of COVID it changed because of black lives matter. So like what also happened in COVID was the, these issues regarding the police. And then my, um, role as a Caucasian composer in America has mm-hmm. now changed. So uh, now every every p- project that I think about is, and also with like collaborating with someone like Janine Joseph, the poet you and I are working with, who is a, a dreamer from the Philippines who came here as an undocumented um, p- person. I mean, that, that now me- means that the position that I have, if there's any, to put a piece in front of people can mean more and I can bring other people into the fold. Not that Janine needs me. She has lots of other collaborators, but but you know it's like you know it's it, it's different than just me writing you a harp
1: music can just stand on its own, but it's It's also, there are things going on in our world that, um, and and there's something, I don't know if you struggle with this as well, but uh, there is the idea of, oh, the tortured artist, which is very romantic and stupid, but also there are things that are going on in our society that obviously are going to impact our art. And it's it's important that we talk about this and we talk about the way that it changes and all of those things. So I, I think it's it's awesome that you are highlighting that and it does lead into another question, but I want to finish out this one first.
2: Sure, yeah, and I'm actually on board with all those missions and I'm not, I, I, no one's telling me to not, not write, I just want to make everybody let everybody know no one's stopping me from writing music in my garage right like it's not it's <laughs> i'm not i'm not like oh no i don't get concerts played anymore i'm actually um i'm just driving the bus right at and i'm also the father of a you know we're a blended family now with, with through adoption so i'm it's very important to me all these issues but you worked
1: with different groups all around the country and i just wondered how did you identify the groups that you wanted to work with
2: Okay, so uh, the, the, the very first version of this was um, New Music USA used to be called something else. And I'm now forgetting it was Meet the Composer or something. So I saw that there was a grant. I was at Colorado Music Festival with my wife, who was in Colorado Music Festival. And it's a, this goes back to friends, friends and family. So Sean and Karen Galvin were in Colorado Music Festival. They are, uh, Sean's currently a percussionist in the Pittsburgh Symphony. And Karen is some high up uh named titled violinist at the North Carolina Symphony. They both played in Colorado Music Festival in the summer. I walked down the hall and I knocked on the door and said, hey, do you want to apply for a grant? Because they run a group called New Music Raleigh as part of their side job to keep creative and artistic happiness in their lives with also playing in orchestras. And then I wrote um, Centaur Records over LinkedIn. And I said, um, can I put you down as a label that will release this if if uh, we apply and they said, yeah, and he, that, he wrote a letter. It was just another cold email. And then uh, I turned it in, did a lot of proofreading. It's always good to have a number of eyes on the thing. And then that happens. So we got $5,000 for that, which you're all out there. That's not enough to make a record. So I think I think that record ended up costing about $15,000 of which I did a $5,000 GoFundMe or one of those. And then I probably put in five of our own stuff. So So a lot of this is self-funded pre being a parent if composing comes in and the bills are generally paid i would then spend it just like a business person would or quincy jones would on his own production you know it's like a little account well the last one was way more than five thousand dollars i think the last one was around forty thousand um, dollars so my goodness. So, <gasps> so what yeah, well it's like having a car some people have a car i've got sure. a record. But in their advertisements for commissions, too. I mean, this is part of like if you think of it as like a business or whatever. So and then over the course of it, um, I would meet people like Avalok Farm Music Institute and I would resonate with how they play. And we got along again while eating and having fun and hanging out and working during the day and listening to each other's play and each other's music. And so um, instead of trying to do everything at once, I started doing collections. So the, the one I did with you, we recorded at Eastman with your ensemble. And I did that sort of like driving across the country on the way to teach at the Walden School in New Hampshire. So in the last one I did, I had a good fortune of uh, working with Third Coast Percussion because Peter Martin's and Third Peter Martin and Third Coast Percussion commissioned the percussion quartet when he was a professor at Virginia uh, Virginia Commonwealth University when we lived in Virginia. So that was a connection. Uh, the Lee Trio, I met them at Avalok, and Delso, del sol string quartet i met at Avalok. so that opened up doing a recording session in san francisco where we got where we used skywalker sound and then i did a um a piece with the lubbock chamber orchestra we living in lubbock and those were four different three different sessions and then one we actually did just in home studios where people did sort of like a click track recordings and then i edited that together so
1: about your performing and going back to um you are one of our esteemed grammy winners which is really well, awesome i should be um, i should be
2: i should clarify <laughs> that technically i played on an album that won a grammy but uh you can say whatever you want say whatever you want yeah.
1: and you got to go to london you got to go and play with the lso which is i'm assuming you would you did this in london yes that was at london
2: <laughs> so- <laughs> and recorded in abbey road's studio one which is the big oh yeah,
1: my so. gosh ah oh, that's really cool but anyway, you are an incredibly established performer, as well as being a composer. Does one take precedence over the other? How do you balance those? And so all of those. Yeah, kind of so
2: questions. I identify as a composer. But it's not so weird in the guitar world that you're a guitar composer, like in, in rock and country and singer songwriter, yes. like all that stuff. Um, as a kid, I even wrote songs on guitar. Uh, so that's always been a part of it. And then I went to Baltimore School for the Arts. And that was when I met people that play classical instruments. And I wanted to really be, you know, when I got into composing for classical instruments, that really opened up, you know, it opens up all these sounds. So, So the way that I handle it is not very different than the way probably a lot of people out there have run a marathon or a half marathon or something. So Um, you know, you're generally in okay shape. You're like doing your like treadmill work and you hit the gym every now and then. And then there's a plan to ramp up for this big day. So uh, while that's not the thing you do every day, which is we run a marathon every day for that's how my guitar playing is. So I'm generally in shape. It's pretty good. Um, You know, I can pick it up and my fingers are not too frustrated. And then, yeah, a couple months out from the concert, I ramp up running it um you know and now i've gotten to the point where the concertos i play are ones i've done a number of times and that is a quite a treat because uh now it's like you know i work it up and often i'll ask here's something you can do if you're playing a new um new premiere is ask the composer for the sibelius file or the finale file or a midi a midi um mock-up and you can like i actually like reduce the tempo And work it up even tempo wise with the MIDI and play long if it's a new piece. So I've got like a whole system, you know, and I start by learning the end. Like I learned the last measure, then I learned the second and last measure to the last measure and I work backwards. So as playing, this is an old trick, right? So as I'm playing, it's always getting to the home stretch. It's the most I've practiced and I can learn things pretty fast.
1: What are the differences to you between playing your own music versus someone else's? Or what is the difference between you playing your music and then someone else playing it?
2: Okay, so I have uh, experienced both of these. So um, my guitar concerto called "Violet Bond," which I wrote for myself, and I um, love playing that piece because I wrote in guitar licks I've been playing since high school. So uh, that's easy. Uh, I, I, I wrote things that I could play, and if any, you know, I didn't really dream up anything that was like some crazy lick that uh, that I couldn't play. And I am playing it while I write it, so even if I'm writing it while playing it, I'm kind of practicing it while composing. So that one I finished. Three weeks before the parts were due, and then I played it three weeks. You know, that was a quick learn. So, but you know, also writing it over a number of months. Then my piece, Katrina, which I wrote for guitarist Ted Ludwig, who is a jazz guitarist from New Orleans, that was a different story. So, in that piece, I was thinking Ted is a jazz composer. He's not really used to reading music. He can read music, but the, you know, in the guitar world, not everyone, you know, reads. It's kind of insane. but I thought, I understood where Ted is coming from. Probably never played with a piano on a recital before, like, you know, a piece by Telemann or something, right? So, like in high school. Um, so it was a lot about often lobbing Ted's softballs that he could just nail. Uh, so that piece starts with his, his part says, G major seven, like raindrops, improvise. But so it looks like a big band chart that a guitar, jazz guitarist would play, his concerto part. A lot more improvisation in that. Whereas mine, look, are written out. Um, so Michael Dowry's piece that I played, he flew me to Ann Arbor and I worked with him for a week or he worked with me and he would come up with ideas and I would play through them. And then we would notate them in a way that was readable for the guitar. That also has a fair amount of improvisation because uh, rock guitarists can do that. And then, so my skill set that I bring to that is I know how to rehearse with classical people and I can do the rock imp- improvisation and, and then I can read down the, um, and then Kenneth Fuchs's piece that did so well with uh, the, you know, on the awards circuit. That one is more new musicy in the sense that that looks more like a concerto part that would be played by a violin or maybe a saxophone soloist or something. So that, that has a lot of reading and um, counting and t- complex rhythms and some improvisation, but not as much and with that one it's about blending with the the, um you know using bringing effects and things and um every guitar the guitar can be like a number of infinite sounds so it's uh fun to work with the composers to bring that out
1: so so we have come to the final question and the final question of the podcast is of a always a question roulette so if i could ask you to pick a b or c
2: okay let's go with c
1: Oh, good. That's actually my favorite.
2: <laughs>
1: so what is your strangest gig or commission that you have ever done or been, or been asked to do?
2: Well, my strangest gig is I played for a cover rock band, a 19, like a classic rock band in uh, Petersburg, Virginia, where I got paid in meat. So I was <laughs> the, the guy, the, the man who started the group It was called the Elder Young Band. Was the head commissary for the military uh situation in st petersburg uh, virginia so he was in charge of what went on the shelves in the market for the military so he got all these deals and bribes from meat industry people and people because so i would like go and play a rehearsal oh, and then so he would American. like he would like give me like a rack of ribs and then then i would like go home be like we got a rack of ribs and then i would like go play oh this guy your people wouldn't be able to handle this this is like shotguns shotguns on the door like dogs barking like like the shotguns like right there in his garage while we rehearsed so um it was definitely that I mean, that's pretty american right shotgun like classic that's rock. very American. a <laughs> <in the beach laughs> and
1: shotguns on the wall yeah i think that's the most American. Thing. I can think
2: Yeah, of. I think that's like my weirdest like play guitar gig. I mean, I worked at a record label in Los Angeles for a while, and that was kind of wild. But
1: uh... so with that, that is wrapped up the interview. And uh, as you can hear, I am still giggling to myself. <laughs> but a huge, huge thank you to composer and electric guitarist DJ Spa. Yeah. Please, please do check out his music. It is so beautiful. It is so awesome. And uh, as a personal plug, uh, when this electric harp concerto happens, please come and watch us if we're in a town near you. Yeah. And uh so thank you so much for joining us today. This was a really fun conversation.
2: Send me uh send me your electric guitar pieces everybody. I'll I'll check them out.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Soundweaver's podcast. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and most other major podcast platforms. We hope that you'll visit us at www.soundweaver'scast.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Soundweaver's and on Twitter at SWChamberCast. We will get episodes as soon as they drop, show notes, and regular updates. This podcast is hosted by Rosanna Moore and engineered by Blair Kerner. I'm your producer, Adam Paul Cordle. Our theme music was composed by Evan Henry and recorded by the Soundweaver's team. The music you heard in today's podcast was composed by Violet Bond, Kenneth Fuchs, and DJ Sparr. On behalf of the Soundiverse cast, see you in two weeks.